MSW Media. Thanks to Hunter Douglas for supporting the Daily Beans. Hunter Douglas makes innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day and bring greater convenience, style, and comfort to your home. Go to hunterdouglas.com dailybeans today to get your free style get smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, March 25th, 2022. Today, the Select Committee on January 6th is in possession of more than three months of text messages between Jenny Thomas and Mark Meadows. The 1-6 Committee will vote to hold Scavino and Navarro in criminal contempt. Bannon crafts his defense in the criminal contempt case against him. Donald files a lawsuit against the world. The 1-6 Committee expands its probe into the RNC emails that defrauded donors ahead of the attack on the Capitol. Another coup lawyer sues the committee. And the Ukrainians destroy a large Russian warship as Biden announces new sanctions against Russia. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Big news day. Um, something's going on, just so you know, with Apple Podcasts. Um, for some reason, the beans hasn't been showing up this week. Uh, the way that you fix that, from what we can tell so far, we do have a ticket in with Apple support. We don't know why it's happening. Is you can unsubscribe and then resubscribe to the podcast or unfollow and then refollow the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That should take care of your problem. Uh, though I realize if you can't get the show, you can't hear this. Um, so I guess we're our Schrodinger's podcast today. Uh, but we do have a lot of news to get to. Later on in the show, I'm going to be talking with Hugo Lowell. He has some breaking news this morning about Steve Bannon's defense in his criminal contempt case. But we have some news and headlines to get to before that. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, Jenny Thomas, a conservative activist married to Clarence Thomas, who's been missing for seven days. Well, he's in the hospital. We know where he is. Uh, repeatedly press White House chief of staff. Mark Meadows, to pursue an unrelenting effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election in a series of urgent text exchanges in the weeks after the election. And that's according to copies of the messages obtained by The Washington Post and CBS News. 29 messages in all. Uh, they reveal an extraordinary pipeline between Ginny Thomas and Donald Trump's top aide during a period when Trump and his allies were vowing to go to the Supreme Court in an effort to negate the election results. On November 10th, after this three days after Biden was declared the winner, and after news organizations projected so, uh, Thomas wrote to Meadows, help this great president stand firm, help him, help him, Mark, you are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governance at the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting greatest, the greatest heist of our history. When Meadows wrote to Thomas on November 24th, a couple of weeks later, the White House chief of staff invoked God to describe the effort to overturn the election. Quote, this is a fight for good versus evil, Meadows wrote. Evil always looks like the victor until the king of kings triumphs. Don't grow weary in well-doing. The fight continues. I have staked my career on it. <laughs> well, at least my time in D.C. on it. That was not smart. Thomas replied, thank you, needed that. This, this plus a conversation with my best friend just now. I'll try to keep holding on. America's worth it. Don't know who her best friend is she's referring to there. 
The messages show for the first time how Ginny Thomas used her access to Trump's inner circle to promote and seek to guide the president's strategy to overturn the election results and how receptive and grateful Mark Meadows said he was to receive her advice. Among Thomas's stated goals in the messages were for lawyer Sidney Powell to be the lead and the face of Trump's legal team. Meadows' attorney, George Terwilliger III, confirmed the existence of these 29 messages between his client, Mark Meadows, and Jenny Thomas. In reviewing the substance of the messages Wednesday, he said neither he nor Meadows would comment on individual texts, but nothing about these text messages presents any legal issues. Jenny Thomas did not respond to multiple requests for comment, and um, they tried to get Justice Thomas to comment by phone. You know, as I said, he's been hospitalized for seven days now for treatment of an infection. He did not respond to a request for comment through the Supreme Court's pub. Um, Now, in her text messages to Meadows, Jenny Thomas spread false theories, commented on cable news segments, and advocated with urgency and fervor that the president and his team take action to reverse the outcome of the election. She urged they take a hard line with Trump staffers and congressional Republicans who had resisted arguments that the election was stolen. The first of the 29 messages uh, was sent November 5th two days after the election, and she sent him a link to a YouTube video labeled Trump Sting with CIA Director Steve Pizenik, the biggest election story in history, QFS blockchain. Pizenik, former State Department official, is a far-right commentator who falsely claimed that the 2012 massacre at Sandy Hook was a false flag operation. Now, the video that Thomas shared with Meadows is no longer available on YouTube, but Thomas wrote, I hope this is true. Never heard anything like this before. Even a hint of it. Is it possible? So she's doing her own research, quote unquote, quote, watermarked ballots in over 12 states have been part of a huge Trump and military white hat sting operation in 12 key battleground states. She texted during that period. So, you know, supporters of QAnon, the extremist ideology group, embraced a false theory that Trump had watermarked mail in ballots so he could track potential fraud. Quote, watch the water was a refrain often repeated in QAnon circles at that time. And in that November 5th message to Meadows, Thomas went on to quote a passage that had circulated on right-wing websites. Quote, Biden crime family and ballot fraud co-conspirators, elected officials, bureaucrats, social media censorship mongers, fake stream media reporters, etc., are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now and over the coming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. Wow. This is the wife of a Supreme Court justice, y'all. The next day, November 6th, Jenny Thomas sent a follow-up message. Do not concede. It takes time for the army who is gathering for his back. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, Meadows might not have been Thomas's only contact inside the Trump White House, um, especially that week. On November 13th, she texted Meadows about her outreach to Jared. I wonder if that's Jared Kushner. Probably. She wrote, just forwarded your Gmail an email I sent Jared this morning. Sidney Powell and improved coordination now will help the cavalry come and fraud exposed and America saved. The messages provided to the House Select Committee do not show any response by Meadows. All right, so there's a lot more of these text messages, and you can check them out in my Twitter feed, at Mueller, she wrote, the Washington Post article. CNN broke the story first but didn't have any of the content of the messages, and then Washington Post came out with uh, the, uh, the big story. Next up from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian, the House Select Committee investigating January 6th attack will consider holding in criminal contempt of Congress next week two of Trump's most senior White House advisors, Dan Scavino and Peter Navarro. Scavino, Navarro, a stupid coups incorporated, I guess. And that is according to the January 6th panel. 
The move to initiate contempt proceedings against the two Trump aides amounts to a biting rebuke of their refusal to cooperate with the inquiry as the panel deploys its most punitive measures to reaffirm the consequences of noncompliance, which might run into a snag because these guys are executive branch employees. And I'm going to be talking with Hugo Lowell in a little bit about why that matters. Now, House investigators said in a notice it would consider a contempt report against Scavino and Navarro in a business meeting scheduled for Monday on Capitol Hill after they defied subpoenas, compelling them to testify and provide documents. The committee is expected to vote unanimously to send the contempt report uh, for a vote to the full House of Representatives. That's according to a source from the panel or close to the panel. And uh, the select committee took special interest in Scavino since Trump's former deputy chief of staff for communications uh, was intimately involved in a months-long effort by the Trump White House to overturn the 2020 election results. Scavino was also closely involved in the scheme to pressure Mike Pence to stop the certification of Biden's election certification at that joint session of Congress. Uh, the select committee sought information from Navarro since he knew of that scheme to have Pence return Trump to office, though his contacts with the former president and Trump war room at the Willard Hotel in Washington that oversaw it um, are still on the on the docket here. Navarro was briefed on the scheme, dubbed the Green Bay Sweep, by political operatives responsible for the operation at the Willard that included former Trump strategist Steve Bannon, who was also indicted for contempt last year for subpoena defiance. And we're going to get into that in a minute. The Guardian has reported that Trump discussed ways to stop Biden's certification from taking place with the Willard War Room hours before the Capitol attack, and that is from an exclusive from Hugo, Hugo Lowell at The Guardian. Uh, however, the select committee's move to consider contempt reports against the two Trump aides indicate neither one complied with their subpoena. Their contempt reports are expected to be made public Sunday, and the move may indicate the committee has what they need on these guys, and they're done wasting time trying to negotiate with them. They're just going to refer them to the DOJ. There's a lot more detail, like I said, in this Guardian article. Please follow our friend Hugo Lowell on Twitter to get access to it and consider supporting The Guardian for as little as a buck. That's really cheap. And you can, you know, do this uh, from the inside the article. There's a link at the bottom of it. Um, so I highly recommend that. In other committee news, Kurt Olson, an attorney who represented Texas in a lawsuit to overturn the election in 2020, has sued the January 6th committee in an effort to block them from compelling his testimony at a deposition and producing documents related to their investigation. It's unclear if the lawsuit, which was filed in D.C. federal court, will succeed, but it could delay the efforts to obtain his testimony. Olson, through his attorneys, also said the subpoena was invalid and unenforceable because it didn't allow for accommodations of his attorney-client relationship with former President Donald Trump and my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. Witnesses have filed more than 20 lawsuits to block subpoenas issued by the select committee because no one did anything wrong, obviously. I'm kidding. The select panel took an interest in Olson's attempts to contact top Justice Department officials in last-ditch efforts to file an election challenge modeled after the Texas lawsuit and also revealed he spoke with Trump several times on January 6th. Included in his subpoena, well, in the subpoena schedule, which is in his lawsuit that he filed, which showed the committee had asked him for documents related to conspiracy theories about the 2020 election, communications with the Justice Department officials about the election, and communications with Trump on January 6th. And that's among other documents. In a related story, the committee's investigation into the RNC via their vendor called Salesforce is expanding from fraudulent lies used to raise money to fraudulent lies used to raise money and incite violence. <laughs> One hour before the rioters breached the police lines at the Capitol on January 6th, a fundraising email sent jointly by the Trump campaign and the RNC hit inboxes of thousands of supporters saying, this is our last chance. 
it's time to fight back. The Hill's insurrection investigators say emails like this, which clog the inboxes of Trump supporters, amount to a disinformation campaign that fueled the unrest that turned violent at the Capitol. And they want to know who at the RNC authored and approved these small-dollar fundraising efforts, which helped raise millions on the false claim that then-President Donald Trump's loss could be reversed. In a brief filed in the U.S. District Court in D.C. late Wednesday, the committee rejected the RNC's claim that the committee's bid for documents related to those post-election emails amount to a Democratic effort to obtain the opposing party's sensitive strategy details, which they're willing to fucking give away to the Kremlin, but we don't want you Americans coming after it. Sorry, I added that. Rather, the select panel says, it's singularly focused on the extent to which the RNC stoked and profited from Trump's election disinformation, plus any nexus their messaging had to the violence that followed. This is the first time we've heard reporting that they're looking at the nexus between these emails from the RNC used by or through, used through Salesforce and the violent attack on the Capitol. Uh, the committee, I'm, I'm just calling it the committee from now on, opens their 57-page filing with, in its motion for preliminary injunction, plaintiff Republican National Committee asked this court to prevent Salesforce from producing information sought by the committee to invest, you know, investigating the 1-6 attack on the Capitol. They go on to say this investigation is of the most deadly attack on the Capitol in our history. And uh, through its subpoena to Salesforce, the select committee seeks information regarding whether and how the Trump campaign used Salesforce's platform to disseminate false statements about the 2020 election in the weeks leading up to the January 6th attack. Quote, contrary to the RNC's suggestion, the subpoena does not seek email content, individual specific info, nor any information about whether email recipients made financial contributions. Despite acknowledging that the January 6th attack was an attack on our country and its founding principles, the RNC asks this court to enjoin Salesforce from complying with the subpoena. For multiple reasons, the court should deny this extraordinary application. And then uh, they list the reasons. Knuckle crack here. First, they say because of the speech or debate clause, the RNC can't use a civil action to interfere with the work of Congress. Second, oh, and by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm paraphrasing all this, <laughs> just so you know. Their lawyers are much better writers. Second, even if you don't buy our speech or debate clause thing, the public interest outweighs the RNC's feelings. Third, the target dates of the data the committee wants is sufficiently focused to overcome any Fourth Amendment concerns. We're not in a fishing expedition, in other words. Fourth, the RNC's tantrum about the committee not having legislative purpose has been debunked by the courts a bunch. Fifth, the RNC contends we interpreted our own rules wrong for subpoenas, but we wrote the rules and we know what they are, and the RNC is being dumb. Sixth, the RNC's thoughts about our subpoena violating the Stored Records Act is stupid because it doesn't, and here's why. Seventh, the RNC has failed to demonstrate irreparable harm without an injunction, and even if it could, the public interest outweighs your sads. And finally, the committee asked the court to skip the discovery phase, skip this whole trial thing, just go advance the trial on the merits and consolidate it with the next hearing. In fact, y'all should just dismiss this idiotic lawsuit brought by the RNC. Of course, like I said, I'm paraphrasing now. The subpoena they issued was actually issued to Salesforce, not the RNC. After the Capitol attack, Salesforce was like, we'll give it over. We're, we're cool. They indicated in a public statement that it was concerned there was a connection between the RNC's email campaign and political violence that erupted on January 6th, just a couple of days earlier. It said it had taken action to ensure its platform could not be used that way again. And soon thereafter, the RNC announced it would no longer use Salesforce's platform for digital fundraising. Now, if we can't incite insurrections on your platform 
you know, we we're just going to have to go with someone else. Maybe maybe Trump will start a new truth social email platform thing. Super successful. Quote, Salesforce has yet to publicly elaborate on the connection it saw between the use of its services and the violence on January 6th or explain the actions it took, the panel wrote in its legal brief filed by House General Counsel Doug Letter. But in investigating the connection that Salesforce saw between these fundraising emails and violence is critical to the select committee's work. And Donald Trump on Thursday sued his rival in the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton, and everyone else in the universe. Um alleging they tried to rig the election by tying his campaign to Russia. And somehow I'm not mentioned in this lawsuit. And I got to say, I feel a little bit left out. I mean, he went through all the trouble of firing me from my government job after investigating my podcast about the Mueller investigation. But he's not suing me for trying to, you know, rig the election by tying his campaign to Russia. I guess my, I guess my, my, uh, my whole thing came out after the 2016 election. Anyway. The lawsuit covers a long list of grievances, and it's poorly written, and there's a lot of typos and grammatical errors, and the lawyer works out of a strip mall. Um, yeah. it's I haven't read through the entire thing yet, but I'm going to be talking about it this weekend on Mueller She Wrote, so you definitely want to listen to that on Sunday. And um, these are grievances that Trump has aired the whole time, these last five years, after beating Clinton. He won, by the way. So I don't know what damages he's possibly suing for. And it comes as he continues to falsely claim that his 2020 election defeat by Democratic President Joe Biden was the result of widespread fraud. Now, acting in concert, quote, the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative that their Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. Interesting that he refers to Russia as a hostile foreign sovereignty now. The former president alleges this in his 108-page lawsuit. It also alleges racketeering and conspiracy to commit injurious falsehoods. The suit seeks compensatory and punitive damages. Trump said he was forced to incur expenses in an amount to be determined at trial, but known to be in excess of $24 million, and continuing to accrue in the form of defense costs, legal fees, and related expenses kind of omitting the part where the RNC is paying his legal bills and he's duping his base for money. But let me just read you the list of defendants. Again, I'm sad I'm not on here. But Hillary Clinton, uh, HFACC Inc., Democratic National Committee, DNC Services Corporations, Perkins Coie, Michael Sussman, who was a lawyer for Perkins Coie. He's the guy that Durham indicted. Mark Elias, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Charles Halliday, Dolan Jr., Jake Sullivan, John Podesta, Robert Mook, Philip Raines, Fusion GPS. Remember them? Glenn Simpson and Peter Fer uh, Fritch. They're Fusion, Fusion GPS. They're <laughs> Nellie Orr and Bruce Orr. Orbis Business Intelligence and Christopher Steele. That's kind of one thing. Uh, Igor Danchenko. He's one of the guys who was also indicted by Durham. New Star Inc. Rodney Joffe. He is the Rodney Jaffe is the uh, executive, the, the tech executive that Michael Sussman was representing. Uh, James Comey, Pete Strzok, Lisa Page, Kevin Kleinsmith, that's the guy who altered an email in the Carter Page thing, and Andrew McCabe. And then a bunch of other John Doe's. Maybe I'm in the, maybe I'm in the Doe's. Maybe I'm a Jane Doe. Probably not. And in international news, Ukrainian armed forces say they destroyed a large Russian landing ship at a port in southern Ukraine on Thursday. The port, which had recently been occupied by Russian forces with several Russian warships, 
was rocked by a series of heavy explosions soon after dawn. Social media videos show fire raging at the dockside with a series of secondary explosions reverberating across the city. The Ukrainian armed forces say that besides destroying the Orsk, which is what they've called the ship, two more ships were damaged. Quote, a 3,000-ton fuel tank was also destroyed. The fire spread to the enemy's ammunition depot. Details of the damage inflicted on the occupier are being clarified. So it sounds like they made a pretty good hit if they got near the fuel tank, the 3,000-ton fuel tank, and the ammunition depot. That's where you want to aim for to do the most damage. It's not known what weapon was used to attack the port. But in other Russia news here, the United States has hit Russia with a new round of sanctions on Thursday, targeting more than 300 members of Duma, its parliament, and dozens of defense companies, while moving to restrict Russia's ability to use its gold reserves to prop up its currency, because that's what they were kind of scrambling to do. The actions, which came in conjunction with new sanctions from Western allies, were the latest attempts to inflict economic pain on President Putin of Russia for his invasion of Ukraine. In addition to imposing new sanctions, the U.S. moved to curtail Russia's ability to evade existing restrictions on central on its central bank and major financial institutions because there had been concerns that Russia was finding ways to stabilize the ruble and rebuild its currency reserves. The sanctions were announced as Biden met with world leaders at a summit in Brussels focused on the war in Ukraine. New sanctions target 328 members of the state Duma, the lower house of Russia's Federal Assembly. They also include Russian defense companies such as Tactical Missiles Corporation, JSC, which makes weapons systems. As part of the effort to put financial pressure on Putin's allies, the U.S. said it was sanctioning Erman Greff, the president and chairman of Spurbank. That's one of Russia's largest banks. We already imposed sanctions on Spurbank last month. The Treasury Department is taking aim at alternative assets that Russia could use to support its economy and issued new guidance on Thursday to make clear that transaction invo- in transactions involving Russia's $130 billion of gold reserves were also subject to U.S. sanctions. Russia built up its gold war chest in recent years to help blunt the impact of sanctions by allowing its central bank to use the precious metal to buy currency on secure loans. Nope, not anymore. The U.S. is working to close that loophole by threatening sanctions on anyone that facilitates such transactions. The Department, Treasury Department guidance says anyone determined to be responsible for or complicit in or have directly or indirectly engaged and attempted to engage in the circumventing of sanctions, including through assets like gold. Don't. All right. That is the regular news for today. Stick around. We're going to be right back with Hugo Lowell and this breaking news on the Bannon defense for his criminal contempt indictment. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Scavino, Navarro, and Stupid Coos Incorporated. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Daily Beans, and today's show is brought to you by Allform, my favorite place to buy great, customizable furniture. Allform offers beautiful custom made furniture that meets your specific requirements and it's delivered fast to your door, and it's just amazing. They'll deliver it to your door at, through the U.S. mail in just five to seven days, and it's at a fraction of the cost and the time constraints that you would get at a normal store. I remember the last time I ordered a custom couch, it took like four months. Uh, but with Allform, you create your own luxury furniture, and you customize it to meet your individual style and match your room. Uh, I chose a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather, and I could never have leather before because of the pod pets, but this is spill-stain and scratch-resistant, and there's a forever warranty. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, And I I added walnut legs, like the walnut finish, to match my mid-century modern vibe. And a chaise lounge at the end. It's so comfortable. It's stylish. It's wonderful. It looks fantastic. And like I said, it arrives in the mail in just five to seven days. It's easy to assemble. No tools needed. And they have armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals. And you can start small and add seats on if your family grows or you get a bigger house. 
And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll come and pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No weird restocking fees or anything like that. And like I said, they have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And right now, Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am joined today by congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. Hi, Hugo. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Good. Hey, question for you, because you have some breaking news about Steve Bannon's defense against his criminal contempt indictment. And let me see if I <laughs> let me see if I have this right, because it took me a minute to get my head around it. Uh, his defense is him and his lawyer, I think, are saying that the Department of Justice has an old Office of Legal Counsel memo saying that executive branch employees get to have a lawyer present during congressional questioning. And they say that the one six committee didn't allow him to have his lawyer there. And even though Bannon is not an executive branch employee, Donald Trump is. And since they wanted to ask about Bannon's chats with Donald Trump, then the OLC memo covers him by proxy, I guess. Do I sort of have that right? Yeah, I'd say almost. So, yeah, it, it is complicated. Um, and it's and it's necessarily complicated because the way this has come about is Bannon has obviously defied his subpoena and he's now being held in contempt. And now he's trying to find reasons that would fit in nicely with, you know, common legal defenses for this kind of thing. And this is why it's, it's kind of complicated is because he's trying to shoehorn it into existing defenses. But right, the the crux of this is basically that he reasonably believed on the advice of counsel, who then counseled Bob Costello who told him the committee subpoena was invalid because the committee in its rules has this provision that says no third party lawyers can be present in a deposition and it's house deposition rules. And because you can't have a third party lawyer, that means according to Bannon and his legal team, he couldn't have a Trump lawyer present to adjudicate question by question um, what matters were covered by executive privilege and what matters were not. And the 2019 Office of Legal Counsel memo you referenced say that executive branch employees need to be able to have or must have an executive branch counsel present in the depositions to do just that, to protect like president's constitutional authority to um, protect their conversations with aides. Otherwise, the subpoena is legally invalid and not criminally or civilly enforceable. And it's on this 2019 uh, ORC memo that he's relying to say, well, the entire subpoena is invalid. And even though the ORC subpoena, uh, the ORC memo says executive branch employees, he argues it also covers former employees. And um, I take it that, um, well, you know, and from what you've written here also that, you know, the, the committee is saying, but Biden, first of all, Biden waived privilege. Second of all, why didn't Bannon's lawyer bring this up earlier? And that sort of moots this late argument. And again, Bannon is not an executive branch employee. And, I, and you know, I don't think we have any precedent because, I, you know, back in the old Nixon versus uh, GSA times, that was different. Um, it, it didn't include executive branch like like um executive privilege discussions with the president or or or, or there's a previous case they cited maybe it's not nixon versus gsa i might have read too many legal briefings today um but they have a lot of arguments against this um 
and I, I, I honestly, you know, looking at all the information you've got in here, I think it will probably fail. But maybe that's not the point of this defense. Yeah. So the 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 point with all these OLC memos. So Bannon's basically saying the subpoena was invalid because OLC memo, memos say so. And the reason why that 2019 OLC memo applies to me or protects me is because of other OLC opinions. And you know, his lawyer told me, like, yeah, we're reading these OLC opinions together. So just because the 2019 one specifically refers to, you know, executive branch employees and and technically quote agency counsel, the it doesn't mean that the principle doesn't carry over, which is and the, the principle at the heart of all of this is presidents need to be able to have candid conversations with their aides and you know subpoenas and congressional subpoenas that don't honor or don't allow uh, the privilege holders counsel to attend that deposition are invalid so you know he's got the nixon versus gsa thing that says well you know trump's invocation of executive privilege was valid because it's you know the nixon case says former presidents can invoke executive privilege and there's a separate orc opinion that says well it doesn't have to be just current employees of the executive branch um executive privilege can extend to private advisors like non-white house employees or former White House employees as well. And so he's using all these OLC memos together to say, well, okay, actually I have a legal defense. And it's not clear whether they will succeed. In fact, he may not succeed. But as you suggest, what it seems like where this is going is he will lose at this level, but he will then appeal it to the DC circuit, which is where all the, the current case law precedents are. And without getting too technical, the precedents that is at issue here is this um, this, uh, this case from, I think it was 1961, Licavoli versus the United States. And the Licavoli court held that what Bannon is saying, effectively that he relied on his counsel's advice that the subpoena was invalid, can't be used as a defense because advice of counsel is not a defense. Ignorance of the law is no defense. But Bannon's lawyers are saying the Licavoli case doesn't actually applied to him because Licavoli, who was actually like a mob boss, if I, if I remember correctly, and he just refused to show up to Congress to testify, there was no executive privilege issue um, mm. with his subpoena, but there is for Bannon. And where this is all going is this, this interpretation of the words willful default, because that's the technical language in the contempt of Congress statute. Bannon's lawyers are saying, the willful default interpretation should be that um, Bannon thought there was nothing unlawful or wrong when he defied the subpoena. The Justice Department is saying, no, that's not correct. You should rely, you should look at the, the Licavoli precedent, which says willfully default means simply that there was a deliberate effort not to comply with the subpoena. So I hope that's not too complicated, but it is a complex No, situation. no. Yeah, no, it makes sense because it, it's, you know, you, you get stuck in the weeds a little bit and I feel like he's trying to argue why he doesn't need to show up for a deposition when actually what he's arguing is that he had a, a reasonable belief that he didn't have to based on what his counsel was saying. And, and what the DOJ is arguing is based on a case that doesn't include a president. So executive privilege doesn't apply. Right. And, and I got to be honest with you. I've read a lot of really dumb legal defenses <laughs> in the past few years. This one actually isn't bad. I still think it'll fail. But like you said, I think that the purpose here is d delay. Delay is the name of the game. And I mean, it's it's as good as any defense 
that I would have, you know, been able to come up with. Of course, I'm not a lawyer, but um, it's it's interesting that they're kind of using these Office of Legal Counsel memos like in tandem and saying that the, your case law doesn't apply because right. it doesn't include a president. Right. And these OLC and they're using the OLC memos deliberately because, you know, part of the argument is, look, these OLC memos drafted by the Office of Legal Counsel, they are the lawyers for the attorney general. And there is a long held belief, in fact, you know, custom and practice at the Justice Department that OLC memos are binding on the executive branch, which obviously includes the DOJ. And if a DOJ memo, an OLC memo says a subpoena that is invalid is not criminally or civilly enforceable, then Bannon's lawyers are saying, well, that in itself should mean the DOJ should have to drop the case because their own internal department policies are saying it's invalid and can't be prosecuted. And like they're relying on this estoppel defense as well. It's like this multi-part thing. He's basically drawing on little parts of several OLC memos and cobbling them together for a wider legal defense. And I talked to an ex-OLC attorney advisor about this, and he thought it was a really interesting way to go. And it you know, really is going to cause a little bit of a problem here for the DOJ. Yeah, especially maybe at the D.C. circuit level. Yeah, I, I could imagine that it would, although the attorney general has can get a new or overridden right. Office of Legal Counsel memo um, to say. But okay, Bannon's well, saying, didn't... basically, I have to rely on what was available to me at the time. And the right. DOJ memos that are available to me at the time suggested that a subpoena of this nature was invalid and, and therefore Bannon saying, well, I was relying on my law's interpretation of the OLC memo because they're so complicated and as a layman, I couldn't possibly understand. And so this is where we're back again with Bannon. Yeah. And, and did they have a specific argument against the committee argument that Biden waived executive privilege? So all your what you're saying is moot. So I went back and checked this and um, uh, and spoiler alert for uh, some of the <laughs> some of the people listening. So. I, uh, in the time that I sent, sent you snippets of this and, um, and now, um, I went and checked with the White House and I'm not certain that the White House did waive executive privilege in this instance. They did waive executive privilege on Trump's communications in general in the National Archives case, but it's not clear actually that they waived executive privilege with respect to Bannon specifically. In fact, because there is that letter from Trump that, you know, that, that, that said, I assert executive privilege. I don't think there was a formal rebuttal from Biden or Dana Remus, the White House counsel, to say, actually, we waive that specific privilege that Trump is invoking. But the, the general point is, yes, the select committee has said that, you know, we don't think Trump has actually asserted executive privilege. And so the, the, at, at, at base, the case for the committee and for the DOJ is that there was no invocation of executive privilege. Yeah, or the remedy could be if there was invocation, you know, the court could say Biden would well, say, yeah, exactly. you know. Yes, exactly, um, yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like I said, I think this is a, a delay tactic, but not a bad defense for the, the kind of dumb shits that I'm used to seeing on the side of the um, of the aisle. Now, my first thought when I read your story was, well, no wonder it's taking so long to indict Meadows. <laughs> because he actually is an executive branch employee. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the problem with this is Bannon was not an executive branch employee at the time. And he, uh, and, and, you know, the, the invocations of his executive privilege may or may not be clear with Meadows. It's a lot more clear, right? Like Meadows wasn't what's actually 
the White House chief of staff at the time of the communications. And so if there was ever an ORC memo that applies, it would be that 2019 memo and it would apply squarely on top of Meadows. And so if they're having, if they end up having a lot of trouble with the Bannon case, the experts I talked to thought it would chill the DOJ's case with Meadows. And it could also chill the case or the, the case that we expect to come um, proceeding starting on Monday with contempt against uh, Scavino and Navarro, who are both also White House employees and executive branch employees. And so Bannon's case is actually quite crucial in like beyond just himself and the select committee, but also for future congressional probes of the executive branch. Do you know what, when you were doing your research, and I'll look this up too if we if we don't have an answer, but what was that 2019 OLC memo originally about in response to? Oh, I'll have to, uh, I have to dig it up. I, I don't immediately remember. It's public though. You can you can look it up. It's um. Right. It was basically about, and it was very very. It was a very narrow opinion that specifically dealt with um, having. I think it was an EPA actually. I think it was an EPA. Uh, Congress wanted an EPA official to testify. Um, didn't and again, I think it was the same thing with House deposition rules. Didn't allow a EPA agency attorney to be present for the deposition, and the OLC said that was legally invalid. Well, the subpoena was legally invalid for that reason. Hmm. Interesting. That's that's very interesting, because if it was a very narrow memo and it did only apply to that EPA person testifying, then that would be another argument that the one six committee could use to apply it here or to Meadows or to Scavino or Navarre. But I mean, it's still it's still an argument. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. And and one last question before I let you go. Um, we had talked earlier about the difference in the rules between a deposition and a written interview. Weren't there some people who were referred for contempt or were thinking about being referred for contempt or weren't referred for contempt, perhaps because they had an interview and not a, a transcript in an interview in, instead of a, an actual deposition. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So the, in, the, the question uh, was about Rosen and Donahue um, and basically Rosen Donahue, these two Trump DOJ officials um uh, had an appearance before the committee. It's not clear whether they had a deposition or if they had a transcribed interview. But the fact of the matter was DOJ counsel were allowed to attend that interview to say, you know, what was what was what they could testify about, what they couldn't testify about. And so it kind of it raises the question of, well, you know, fine, if it wasn't a deposition, that's that's all well and good. But if that's the case, why couldn't they do the same for Bannon? If all they wanted was his information, um, the fact that they pursued a deposition only and you know didn't want to negotiate, you know. Both sides didn't want to negotiate, but if they didn't want to negotiate about any other circumstance under which he could testify or, or talk to the committee, then Bannon might argue they were just trying to set him up. Yeah, and I did notice that when uh, the 1-6 committee filed that huge, you know, eight, seven reasons why um, privilege doesn't apply to John Eastman and his emails, uh, they had included some transcripts of Rosen and Donahue interviews and uh, I noticed that there were Department of Justice lawyers there. And my first thought was, ooh, the Department of Justice is investigating. And um, then I realized, no, you probably have to have a Department of Justice lawyer present when you're questioning former Department of Justice employees. I was, I was really excited for about three seconds and then took myself down a notch. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on and explaining this to us. It's an incredible story. And uh, I look forward to perhaps getting some more information uh, from some folks about maybe why the, this could put a kibosh on on a Meadows or a Scavino or Navarro indictment. And although, you know, I, I find it interesting that 
the committee would go ahead and continue to subpoena executive branch employees without talking to the DOJ about their 2019 memo or without a, a Meadows indictment. Yeah, well, I guess we're just going to have to see. I'm, I'm going to rush because um, Capitol Reese is, is clearing out of the basement. But um, yes, that is a good point. as well. All right. Yeah, I don't want you to get in trouble with the Capitol Police. Have a good day. Thanks so much, Hugo. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's show is sponsored by Hunter Douglas. They make stylish window shades out of gorgeous fabrics, and they have automatic control systems that can automatically adjust to the optimal position throughout the day. Using Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, you can program your shades to automatically adjust up or down for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, regardless of the time of day. Hunter Douglas shades diffuse harsh, harsh sunlight. It creates a pleasant, even glow throughout your home. It's beautiful. It's comforting. It's peaceful. It protects your privacy so you can see out, but they can't see in. And it helps you save money by keeping your room warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer, which also takes some of the pressure off of our electricity grids, which is great. You will see a noticeable difference in the functionality, style, and comfort of your home immediately. Now, my favorite feature about PowerView is how it automatically adjusts your shades for the ideal balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, noon, and night. So go to HunterDouglas.com dailybeans today to get your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com dailybeans for your free design guide. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, Halloween photos, any photos, pod pets, what the mutt, whatever you want to send us, whoopee stories, please send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And again, if you're having trouble with Apple Podcasts, not updating the Beans feed, try unfollowing and then following again. This has worked for everyone who was missing episodes. First up from Kristen, pronoun she and her. Greetings, beautiful Beans queens. This isn't really a correction as much as an excuse to send more pictures of my dog. (laughs) I'm writing in response to Dana's comment regarding the listener who wrote in and stated it was the first time he was listing preferred pronouns. While Dana may be correct that this listener had recently accomplished a significant transformation of some kind, I just wanted to comment that as a cisgender heteronormative white person, it seemed like a big deal to me a couple years ago when I added my preferred pronouns to my email signature. I realized that a cishet perspective experience does little to support the lives of any of our marginalized siblings. Just making the point that many of us who never really had to define ourselves are finally recognizing these truths and trying to be better humans. I recently sent a photo of Lily, our eight-year-old mini Aussie. I love mini Aussies. Here are some better pics that show her light blue eyes. Lily's right eye is marbled with brown pigmentation in the upper iris. Not a lazy eye. It's as cute as, uh, as a cute little kid once said. Oh, yeah, I could see how they might think that. how awesome (gasps) what a beautiful baby and I love how the the blue in the eyes matches the blue in the coat you know it's just so beautiful these coats she she looks she looks very serious (laughs) adorable thank you thank you so much uh, for that submission Kristen I appreciate it all right next up from Rachel pronouns she and her new time listener and soon to be newly graduated nurse I started my journey to become a nurse seven years ago, straight out of high school, but life took some interesting turns. It usually does, Rachel. (laughs) But long story short, I will graduate this May with my BSN and MSN. Nice. We'll sit for my state boards and start my new job I was hired for in the ICU. Ooh, ICU nurse. That is awesome. While nursing is a scary place right now, I hope to make some good trouble in my hopefully long career. 
Rachel. ICU nurses are badass. Congratulations. Uh, Rachel says, below is my pet tax of my cousin's dog. My cousin's dog running, multiple dogs running on their farm and being goofballs. And not seen are the cousin's horses walking back to the barn for feeding time. (laughs) Oh, dude. The jumping dog in the middle is my favorite. Look at the one on the left. Okay. These are goofballs. I love these dogs. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, Next submission from Brent. Pronouns he and him. Hey, Beans, Queens, and fellow Leguminati. It's me, Brent. I'd like to put in my application to be the official independent dark fantasy horror and sci-fi author of the Daily Beans. Apologies if that designation has already been claimed. You've asked for people to share their arts and crafts while my art is writing books. I have six books so far. The first three are an ongoing series uh, about my pal Chuggy. He's basically a very drunk Tom Waits stumbling around a world of strange monsters and getting into trouble. I have a young adult comedy horror called Keep Away from Psycho Joe that takes place in rural northern Wisconsin. I have a future sports sci-fi horror called uh, Cruise Roosters that comes with all the trigger warnings. That one follows a young female sportscaster who has caught the eye of the nation's tyrant, a ranting orange buffoon named Prophet King. Hmm, wonder who that's named after. Uh, It's harrowing and brutal, but at its core, it's a plea for unity. And lastly, I have a short story called Doomsday Furnace that's just a whimsical frolic from front cover to back. You can find me on Amazon if you search for Brent Michael Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. I wrote these stories to share them with readers, not to get rich. Uh, So I'm happy to send folks ebooks at no charge. Please support independent authors and publishers. There are so many great voices at small presses that people just don't know about. Lastly, wish me luck as I try to make myself a full-time author this year. Awesome. Love you guys. Love this community. All right, I'm going to head out. Okay. (laughs) This photo is amazing. The mustache is amazing. The Chinese crested is amazing. The leather coat is amazing. The top hat is amazing. Or is that a stove? No, it's a top hat. This is so great. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate this. Next up from Ellen of Hey Poopy Podcast. Yes. Pronoun she and her. Hello, amazing leaders of the beans. I have an Easter story. Um, it's of me as a child, probably around five years old. My mother left out my Easter basket overnight for me to find the next day. When I came down to see what the bunny left in the basket, I also saw a pile of poop next to it. One of our Medi cats pooped right next to my Easter basket. <laughs> Later that day, we went to dinner and a bunch of older family friends asked me if the bunny came. And I said with great pride, yes, and he pooped. And the Hey Poopy podcast was born. I actually added that part. Uh, These older ladies weren't as excited about it as I was. I've attached an Easter photo of my dog, Sophia, 92-pound pit mastiff, as a pet tax. Plus, March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, reminding everyone over 45 to get a colonoscopy. Uh, To raise awareness this month, my co-host, some of our past guests, and I made butt prints, which we're auctioning off to raise money for CRC awareness. Uh, Check them out at heypoopypodcast.com. Thank you for being so amazing. Uh, I got my colonoscopy. The prep is a little meh, but all all in all, I had a good time. The fentanyl was wonderful. I got to watch the whole thing on on a giant screen TV. It was like a a weird roller coaster through my butt, and uh, I, I... the recovery was fine. I, I I think I just, I'd never been in a fentanyl twilight sleep before. And I have to say, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was just like, I was pretty high. And uh, I don't know if you do this when you're high, especially if you're around doctors or somebody who you think, you know, is a respectable profession. But I was talking a lot and I was like, woo, this is crazy. But then I would just remind everyone, hey, I just, I, I'm high right now. That's why I'm like this. <laughs> it was kind of funny. 
Oh, look at this dog, this mastiff mix with the bunny ears. What a precious baby. I bet I bet this dog just like jumps on your lap because they think that they're a lap dog. So adorable. All right, and uh, finally, from Chelsea, pronoun she, her. Hello, beans, ladies. I've been listening since the kitchen days, and I start my day listening to you every day. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm so grateful for your insight and your humor, and of course, the swearing. Fuck y'all. I have a good news story. About three weeks ago, our cat, Hattie, got real sick. She's 19, and she has to be the best cat I've ever had. I had to take her to the emergency vet hospital on Sunday at like 10 p.m. They told me she has pancreatitis and that she needed to stay in the hospital for like a week with a very guarded prognosis for $5,000 or they could euthanize her. We didn't have $5,000 and I didn't want them to put her to sleep. You see, the hospital won't let me come in due to COVID and the thought of her dying with strangers was unbearable for me. I agree with that, Chelsea. I asked that they give her some fluids and pain meds. My plan was to take her home and have our regular vet put her down the next day. This is the good news part. The next morning, she started purring. We went to our vet for the first thing, and to our surprise, our vet said she thought we could treat her. The vet taught me how to give her fluids at home. We did some meds, and within two days, she was doing amazing. She's now not only better, she is like a new woman. Other issues she had are gone, too. It's a miracle. I'm so glad we have more time with her. Always trust your gut. Photo of Hattie attached for your pet tax. Oh, hi, Hattie. Oh, she's beautiful. I really like that. I like your pillowcases and your bedspread, too. But all eyes on Hattie. What a beauty. Oh, I was so scared when I just took, recently I had to take boobs in to get some teeth pulled. And I just, he's 15. I just hate to put him under general anesthesia, you know. But he's fine. He's, uh, tomorrow's his last day of antibiotics and gabapentin. So he he doesn't have to keep taking pain meds. Um, But he's a happy cat. He's purring very very happy and he's a little bit better off than he was so i feel this very hard so congrats on hattie and everyone thanks for sending in your submissions i love the good news segments if you have any good news you want to send in you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact and thanks again to our patrons man when we came off spotify and we were like help us out a little bit we need you know we have to make up for the money that we're going to lose by pulling our shows off spotify man you guys came through we we got like hundreds of new patrons. So if, you, if you've been kind of on the fence about it, um, I, I please, it would really help us out if you could sign up. We love you. And um, I think our next happy hour, uh, Patreon happy hour is a week from tomorrow. And that's where I come onto a Zoom call. And as a patron, you get a Zoom link and y'all can ask me questions. And I talk about the news that hasn't come out on the Daily Beans yet. Uh, and we have a really good time. So that's among other things. When I travel around, I have meetups. Like I'll be in DC, I think in May. And we'll probably have an off-the-record meetup there with patrons, uh, and you will get the location and date if you're a patron for that. And then if I ever go on tour again, uh, if COVID ever lets up or allows us to, you'll be able to get early ticket sales, VIP tickets, um, stuff like that. So very fun. Uh, All right. I got to head out of here. I am about to appear on the Mary Trump podcast, uh, Mary Trump show. Um, So I will see you there, and then I will see you again this weekend on Muller She Wrote and the MSW Book Club. And I'm going to be joined by Pete Strzok again, so you don't want to miss it on the, on the Muller She Wrote podcast. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.